Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, thanks so much for being with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch today. Uh, Jim and I have uh, weathered the football weekend again. The Bears lost to the Packers again. Jim, tough loss for you guys uh, in Minnesota yesterday, but it looks like you guys are a playoff caliber team, and hopefully uh, the wins end up where you need them to end up by the uh, the end of the regular season. But this is a new Jets team, and you've got something to be excited about. Thankfully, I do have the Michigan Wolverines to be excited about because uh, it ain't happening in Chicago, at least this year. Well, Greg, there's a difference between being a playoff caliber team and being an actual playoff team. The jury <laughs> remains out on that one. We'll see what happens in these last, you know, five weeks. I really kind of think the Jets need to win like four of them to be pretty secure in a playoff spot. Hey, at least you got the draft to look forward to. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Where they can draft Michigan players. On to our uh, first martini. Now, we should point out that there's kind of a flow to today's martinis. There is a good, bad, and a crazy, although the bad one's really crazy, and the crazy one's pretty bad. So, uh, anyway, they're all on this uh, topic of election interference, election denial, and that sort of thing. So let's start with the good. It happened, uh, I guess it was on Friday now, with uh, Elon Musk making good on his promise to reveal what happened at Twitter uh, back in the last few weeks of the 2020 presidential election when Twitter suppressed a New York Post story detailing what was on the Hunter Biden laptop. They decided it was political misinformation. Not only did they uh, suspend the New York Post account, which is amazing, the oldest daily newspaper in America, you couldn't post the link. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Nobody could. Uh, It would stop you from posting New York Post links to the story. And I'm pretty sure they did their best to suppress uh, the information if you got it from another source as well. And so... Jim, this was really uh, remarkable given the significance of the story and the significance of the time in the election cycle. And so Elon Musk uh, didn't just, you know, throw out a bunch of documents. He let Matt Taibbi, a guy who has uh, certainly made the right and the left happy or mad, depending on the story over the last few years, seems to be a pretty straight shooter. And he went through this long Twitter thread about how Twitter went to remarkable lengths to make sure this story did not get out there, at least off of its platform. And so it was very obvious, even after they had a pretty good idea that the laptop was real, to keep the story suppressed. And so uh, whether you want to call it a First Amendment violation or not, I think we're too early to know that because... What if Jim Baker was a go-between with the FBI? We know the FBI was dealing with Facebook in a fairly direct way. So I think there's more to possibly come on this. But uh, the lengths to which uh, Twitter went to suppress a story that if the details had been the other way, absolutely would have been allowed on Twitter uh, is just amazing at a critical point in election cycle. Yeah. Look, I think I give... At minimum, two cheers to Musk and to uh, Taby for the way that they chose to lay this out. I was a little annoyed that there was not one clear document you could look to that had all this information. I think putting it out in a series of tweets was kind of clunky and and maybe tougher to read than it otherwise could have or should have been. You could have just as easily put this up in one clear document on Twitter.com. There are a couple of places where Taby had put people's email addresses in there, including Congressman Ro Khanna, which was... Not a good thing to do. You could just as easily have blacked them out. I don't think there's any particular news value in knowing what Ro Khanna's personal email address is. I should take a moment to point out the actions or at least the words we saw of Congressman Ro Khanna, Democrat of California, were actually one of the few bright spots in this. Ro Khanna reached out to Twitter lawyers, the Twitter legal team is like, 
you guys might want to rethink this and and kind of was just made this very basic point about the first amendment pointing out that you know the standards for the government to prevent someone from printing information even if it is stolen even if it is illegally obtained by someone else not if it's illegally obtained by the person doing the reporting the government has a meet an extraordinarily high bar before they can restrict the dissemination of that information. Now, does the same laws necessarily apply to Twitter? Khan is in a good spot when he says the same principles should apply. And remember, it wasn't just Twitter coming out and saying, we don't trust this reporting or we don't think this is good. You could not share it on Twitter. You could not even share it in, in direct messages, which, as Taby lays out, is the sort of thing they usually had reserved for things like child pornography. Uh, really extraordinary measures that were not the sort of thing that they applied to any old article that uh, used a source that was dubious. And considering all the number of times you see all kinds of reporting that has anonymous sources or unnamed sources, to say on this one, well, we think it's hacked. Well, that really did seem like a fig leaf for simply an act of censorship that Twitter, almost entirely representative of, you know, very left of center folks, believe like, well, it's hacked, so we shouldn't let anybody read this. Even people, other people in Twitter seem to be confused by this. The other fascinating detail is how much apparently this was done entirely without informing CEO Jack Dorsey. Uh, it was shortly after the election that Jack Dorsey said that this was a mistake. And then in a hearing in March 2021, he had said this was a bad decision. So I think this is all very newsworthy. When a social media platform says we're not going to allow the public to see this piece of reporting, based on a suspicion that turns out to be false. That's a big deal. I was on Fox News with uh, Howard Kurtz the other day, and my co-panelist insisted this was a big nothing burger. I don't think that was the case. When a social media platform says, we're not going to allow this one, and oh, by the way, it involves a presidential candidate and his son, like a month before the election, yeah, it's a big consequential deal. The people insisting this is not a big deal, not even Jack Dorsey was saying this wasn't a big deal. Like they're putting forth a defense that not even Twitter was willing to make in defense of itself. So you lay it all out. It's an ugly portrait of the previous regime or the previous managers of Twitter. It is pretty much as we suspected. At this point, as you said, there's not any evidence that the government ordered or that anybody on the Biden team ordered them to suppress this. There are other little quibbles I have with uh, the way Taby reported it. He points to a bunch of tweets that were deleted at the request of the Biden team. Christian Snyder looked through and was able to determine like at least four of those five involved uh, nudity of Hunter Biden or other forms of pornography. And I think it's safe to say that Twitter has every right to take that down. And that's just a different category of problem or issue rather than you know a newspaper article pointing to something that's extraordinarily embarrassing to the Democratic candidate for president. So good for Musk, good for Taby. They could have, you know, handled this a little bit better here and there, but otherwise, I think good for them. And I think everybody who's insisting this is a nothing burger looks ridiculous right now. Well, speaking of those calling for the nothing burger, it's fun to watch the uh, so-called mainstream media basically go after Musk, go after Matt Taibbi and say, oh, this guy was once a respected journalist and now he's just doing PR for this egocentric billionaire. And the charge seems to be led by... This guy, Ben Collins, who hadn't been much of a, a household name, but apparently he's trying to be the next Brian Stelter and just, uh, you know, trolling wherever he can. Uh, I think we know who the real journalist was in this occasion. Look, Greg, if he were a real journalist, he'd be doing PR for Sam Bankman-Fried. <laughs> One of the good billionaires or, or former billionaires at this point. Yeah, Elon didn't donate to Democrats enough over the years, apparently, because uh, then he would have had a, a different response, apparently. But yeah, to watch just the... Oh, they're not on our team. Uh, reaction from uh, from the left is very telling, I think. 
I'll tell you what else is telling. Uh, your first bite of your Moink steak. I'll tell you what. I mean, it's one of the best steaks you're ever going to have. It's not only the steaks. It's also the chicken. It's also the lamb. It's a Greek guy. I love the lamb. Uh, pork. Uh, Alaskan salmon. Whatever you order in your Moink box, and it's up to you what you get in your Moink box, you are going to love it. Remember, Moink is moo plus oink. And Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did. As a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. Now you choose whatever meat you want delivered in every box, whether it's ribeyes or chicken breasts or pork chops or salmon fillets and so much more, and you can cancel anytime. Yeah, Moink is helping to save rural America, the family farm. So you'll want to join the Moink movement today. Plus, the food is absolutely phenomenal. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash martini right now. And listeners of the Three Martini Lunch get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but it's only for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini. That's moinkbox.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And uh, you knew there would be a reaction from Mar-a-Lago. There was. Donald Trump on Truth Social. Uh, if this didn't nuke his presidential campaign, it certainly should. Here's the exact quote on Truth Social. Reacting to the, the, the Twitter story that we just talked about. So with the revelation of massive, all caps, and widespread fraud and deception, all caps, in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders, quote-unquote, did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. Maybe the last sentence is true. They would not condone false and fraudulent elections, Jim. However, any idea of suspending anything related to the Constitution at any point is something we are going to condemn heartily here on the Three Martini Lunch, and every American uh, certainly should as well. We also, there's no proof whatsoever that if this story had been allowed to freely flow, that it necessarily would have changed the results. There have been polls out there showing people who would have been less likely to vote for Biden and so forth, but you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube and know exactly how it would have worked out. Was Trump treated unfairly as a result of that uh, uh, handling of the story? Yeah, absolutely. There was a bias there. But what he, his reaction here, this is actual insanity. It is, Greg. I mentioned this on Twitter. I, I was hoping we'd have a chance to talk about this uh, on television yesterday, what is the first thing the president of the United States does? Put their hand on a Bible or other holy book of their choice and swears to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. So help me God. That is saying that if I choose not to do this, if at some point I fail to or I choose not to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic, May God strike me down, right? Help me, God. Help me do this, God, right? And, you know, Trump did that. And now he's saying we need to suspend the Constitution. Now, by the way, I've had this gripe against uh, other government officials who take an oath of office and say they preserve, pledge they will preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And then they decide that, say, the Second Amendment is optional. Like, no, no, you don't get to do it. You don't get to ignore the parts of the Constitution that are inconvenient. 
Thankfully, we have a Supreme Court to litigate these issues and to get the question of, well, does the Constitution require this or require that? What the Supreme Court does not leave any wiggle room on is that the president just doesn't get to say, suspend the Constitution, terminate the Constitution. Let's just ignore it because it stands in the way of me getting what I want. Secondly, Greg, as if this all wasn't absurd enough, just who does former President Trump think is going to enforce this decision? <laughs> there, There is no, like, you know, the Supreme Court's not going to go along and do it. The Supreme Court's not going to come along and say, oh, hey, look, look, based on what we saw in the Twitter files, we have no choice but to make Donald Trump president of the United States. Move out, Biden. Come on, Jill. Get going. You know, that's not going to happen. And I, you know, this almost goes back to the um, perception of January 6th. That, this, you know, in my mind, this was a terrible event. It was uh, awful to see the assault on law enforcement. Everyone involved should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But even if they had, God forbid, ever figured, you know, they'd hung Mike Pence or they'd kill, you know, assaulted, killed members of Congress. What exactly did they then think was going to happen? That the rest of Congress would say, oh, my God, well, these guys are so angry. We best, Well, I guess we got to make Trump president. They weren't going to do that. They were never going to do that. And it was, there's always been this kind of bizarre belief in Trump's mind that somehow, if he just complains enough, if he just whines enough, if he just rants enough on social media, somehow somebody is just going to step in and say, oh, that's right. Biden, you got to move out. Trump, you're president again. It's absurd. This is a man who's lost touch with reality. So I'm glad to see various folks coming out and, uh, you know, denouncing the president. I think everybody should be denouncing the president. I don't think... By any stretch of the imagination, you can call yourself a good Republican, a good conservative, or a good American if you concur with Donald Trump that the Constitution can be suspended or ignored because it stands in the way of you getting what you want. You'd like to think each one is the last uh, straw, but you know, my guess is, Greg, we still have some ways to go. Well, we'll see. There is a process for choosing the next nominee, and there will be options, I have a feeling. So, uh Choose wisely, Republicans and uh, independents who are allowed to vote in certain states, although you shouldn't be. But that's a whole different discussion. Uh, Jim, yeah, the, the, you know, the Democrats are certainly no stranger to this. I, I distinctly remember John Kerry saying, oh, we're not going to present this as a formal treaty to the Senate. I mean, it's never going to pass, so we're just going to do it. Nobody's talking here with uh, with innocent hands on, on either side of the aisle on some of these issues. But what the what the former president said here was absolutely uh, absurd and uh, I would say disqualifying. All right, on to our final martini now, Jim. And as long as we're talking about election denialism here, let's move on to the brand new Democratic leader in the House of Representatives, Hakeem Jeffries. Well, as it turns out, Hakeem Jeffries wasn't too happy with the results of the 2016 presidential election. That, of course, was won by Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton. And like a lot of other Democrats, Hakeem Jeffries did not like that. In 2019, uh, he claimed Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election and, quote unquote, artificially made Trump president. Uh, The RNC has put out a series of tweets from Hakeem Jeffries over the years, including one from... Uh, after uh, the presidential election of 2020, keep pouting. History will never accept you as a legitimate president. Uh, Earlier in 2020, from uh, back in August, let's be clear, Donald, the only person trying to steal the election is you and your buddies in the Kremlin. Back in 2018, lie. 
more than any administration in the history of the Republic. Cheat, 2016 election, Russian interference, steal one or two Supreme Court seats. When will Republicans put country ahead of party? That was during the Kavanaugh uh, drama. And then the last one they have here, the more we learn about the 2016 election, the more illegitimate it becomes. America deserves to know whether we have a fake president in the Oval Office. Hashtag Russian interference. So anyway, these tweets came to light and uh, over at Time Magazine, uh, they took a look at these and decided, you know what, Jim? Not the same thing. They say, quote, the term election denier has taken on a particular meaning after Trump's failed re-election campaign. The phrase has come to be associated with Republicans who claim the 2020 election was stolen from Trump, assert without evidence there was fraud in 2020 voting, and cast doubt on secure voting systems, claims that led to the deadly January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol. Calling Jeffries an election denier is misleading and conflates different issues. Casting unfounded doubt on the outcome of an election is irresponsible when either party does it, says Rachel Ore, Associate Director of the Elections Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center, a nonpartisan Washington think tank. But I think it's important to remember that the culture around elections was quite different before 2020. Jim, with all due respect to uh, Ms. Ore, Democrats have been saying Republicans didn't really win presidential elections for a long time. 2000, Florida. 2004, remember bad voting machines, supposedly, in uh, Ohio, Ohio, Diebold, and then, of course, 2016. They haven't accepted a Republican presidential win since 1988, and now uh, we're talking about how one party is not like the other when it comes to this stuff. So you kind of almost expect dumb partisan office holders to say, well, when I questioned the election, it was different. You know, it was that was okay. That was that was permissible. What we really don't want to have is allegedly nonpartisan sources like Time, and I think you know you noticed that allegedly uh, making excuses for them and hand waving it away and insisting, well, look, it's different when Republicans do it because they're bad, and Democrats are good. You know, now if I think what most people would observe is that what De- yes, Democrats complained about two thousand selected, not elected, Bush Hitler, not my president, et cetera, et cetera. And then 2004, Diebold. And then 2016, he didn't win the popular vote. All that kind of stuff. You're not my president. You're not a legitimate president, et cetera, et cetera. That was venting. They had <laughs> lost by a close margin, and they were really upset about it. I think the average partisan schmo, talking head or columnist, if you're not, if you have no official responsibility, then yeah, you have a First Amendment right. Go out and say whatever you want. Office holders have a First Amendment right, but they also have responsibilities. And I think if you are in the United States government, And in particular, if you're an elected official of the United States government, you do have a duty and a responsibility to not claim the elections are fraudulent unless you've got really good evidence and a really good reason. I don't think that in any of those cases, Democrats made that. I don't think that Donald Trump had any sufficient evidence to make that claim in 2020. What the difference is, or what, you know, so the insistence is, well, they're just blowing off steam, but it means more when the other guys do it. Well, Trump's statements did lead to January 6th, but... I don't think you can just, the answer is to say, just then give Democrats a pass. I think the argument is to say, this is what this leads to, that every time a Democrat insists that a Republican election is fraudulent or fake for no good reason, i.e. Stacey Abrams, then the next time around, a Republican losing candidate feels okay saying the election was stolen from me, i.e. Donald Trump and or Carrie Lake in Arizona. That's what happens. When you start doing it, the other side starts saying, okay, we can do that too. And it escalates and it escalates until you end up in a circumstance in which, you know, January 6th is probably the worst case scenario. I noticed that nothing's actually happened in Arizona. Kari Lake insisted she won. It's a 17,000 vote margin. 
They have not produced affidavits indicating that more than 17,000 people wanted to vote for Gary Lake and could not in Maricopa County. The Maricopa County vote was ver- verified by uh, all every Republican official in, in the county saying, yeah, we had some problems with, with printers, but people went to other uh, voting precincts. Everybody who wanted to vote got a chance to vote. And life's going on in Arizona. Carrie Lake is still screaming, but life is going on. The upside, the better scenario, is that it doesn't lead to anything violent or something like that. But are you running around and insisting, look, it's different when Hakeem Jeffries does it. It's different when Democrats do it. That is just giving a permission slip to Republicans to keep doing this. If you want losing candidates to stop insisting that they were cheated and stop embracing crazy conspiracy theories, then you have to denounce it every single time when both parties do it. But I guess that's too much to ask of Time Magazine, Greg. Yeah. Kudos, I guess, to George Stephanopoulos for asking Hakeem Jeffries about this yesterday on this week. But uh, Hakeem Jeffries just uh, answered the question by attacking Republicans and promising to be bipartisan by talking about how he'd keep putting forward the Democratic bills that are being put forward right now. So I'm not sure exactly how that's bipartisan. But uh, Jim, the other guy's always the bad one. See you tomorrow. <laughs> it's already, you can tell it's a Monday, Greg. See you <laughs> sure. tomorrow. Sure Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They are a huge help to us. Also, uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Don't forget about Jim's brand new novel, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Have a great Monday. Join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Two red states take Secretary Mayorkas to court to challenge his order to relax deportations. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also be very blunt on how the left is downright evil in constantly trying to sexualize our children. And I'll react to Biden's pathetic response to the protests in China and the non-binary administration official now charged with a felony. Follow the Sarah Carter Show wherever you get your podcasts.